tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed, and a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Yes, and welcome to another very, very special episode of Tim Fall Half. You know who I am. You know what I'm here to do. I'm here to rock. Thank you, oh, man. Yeah. Eventually, you're going to get that, okay? We <laughs> are crushing. Joining me in studio is always my partner in crime, the man, the myth, the legend, XG in the place to be. Uh-huh. What's up? And on the ones and twos, everybody's favorite human being, the guy who they say makes the show so much slightly better. Please welcome Johnny Woodard, everybody. Hey, Sam. Oh, dude, I love that. You were just slow jamming that right there. Guys, this is a great weekend. Not only are you getting three of the greatest topics we could talk about on the show, but guess what? Some of you guys are going to be able to see myself, XG, and Eddie Bravo live. If you're anywhere near Fort Worth this Friday, January 24th at 8 p.m., we are live at the Hyenas in Fort Worth. That's Hyenas comedynightclub.com grab those tickets now those tickets are selling very quickly and the following day no rest for the wicked we're on a we're in a car we're driving oh yeah reed becker's joining us yep. and then we're going to be in okc at brick town comedy club uh and that's a 4 30 show and those tickets are moving quickly and we will be discussing the bigfoot wars of Bring 1855 weed. okay weed, please. i don't know if that's legal yeah. in Oklahoma. Have you done the research? No, but that's why you I'm should do the research before you ask people to bring stuff. Still bring it. You don't want people. We're calling felonies here, dude. This this show <laughs> plays doesn't play by the rules. We live on the, on the edge, and you don't exactly. want to push us over the edge, okay? Like a oh, cat on the flat God. earth pushing everything over the edge. Guys, <laughs> uh, please check out my special. Go to samtribly.com, Two shows live from the Viper Room. Armo Geddon Zero Fox available for now. For free. And also check out the Patreon. Guys, Patreon. Go to Patreon. Go to Tinfoil. Go to Patreon.com, Tinfoil Hat, and you will be able to grab all the Patreon. I mean, we're doing crank calls, conspiracy crank calls. We're doing man on the streets. Plus, we're giving you two uh one hour interviews. That's bonus for you. All for five bucks. It's the best money you'll ever spend. Okay. The best money you'll ever spend. And listen. You got to check out our new t-shirt. Go to it. It's uh, tinfoilhattshirts.com. This is a brand new shirt we put up, and it's selling like hotcakes. Yes, it is the I Killed Epstein shirt. You know what I'm saying? That's that's maybe the best shirt you've ever had. That's such a cool shirt, dude. Thank I love you, dude. that shirt. Thank you. Uh, you know, I am brilliant. I am great. No, a friend of mine and I were talking about it. He's like, you should sell it. I'm like, okay, I'll sell it. I'm going to throw him a little cheddar. Don't you think it's cool, though? That's like one of the better shirts you've ever had. Yeah, made. that's why I made it, Johnny. I only make good shirts. <laughs> no, but where, would you shirts. rank that in like the top five? Oh, I, easy. Uh, top five. I think I think uh, once upon a time in this flat earth, 
is up there. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, and the Unabomber was right. I think those are the top three right the now. The Unabomber was right. Oh, one my favorite, cool. the Raiders one. The Raiders, yeah. Well, it's you're classic. you're cholo trash, so you would like that. <laughs> but guys, go buy a shirt, support the show, dude. It's really helping because the more you support the show, the more we could grow this show. Okay. And today's show is brought to you by our new. We got a new sponsor, everybody. New sponsor alert. Ooh, Love it, dude. Let's do this it. is combining my two favorite things. You know I love coffee. How hyped am I, dude? You know, ever since I do stopped doing drugs, ever since I stopped doing more drugs and more drugs. And uh, you guys know, some chick in uh, Arizona, smoke show, Super 10, offered me Coke. I said no. What did I do? Boom! I got some coffee. And Willpower. Will, dude, hey, dude, at some point you got to say enough is enough. Willpower. At 47, I don't need to be doing a young man's drug like Okay, but you know what I do like? 90 cups of coffee. That's what I like, and that's why I love strong coffee, everybody. It's a brand for the people who aspire to reach their potential, man. I love coffee, you love coffee, and you love to get it done. That's why Strong Coffee created the world's premier premier on-the-go coffee drink mix, revolutionizing coffee and supplements. Now you got my attention. We're combining the best stuff out there, right? Like my theory about weed and boner pills. High and hard. I'm going to eventually <laughs> invent that for somebody. This thing, Strong Coffee, got 10 milligrams of CBD plus healthy fats called MCT oils and are like the truth. Blasted to your brain and are extremely good for your gut, man. The thaline increases testosterone. I don't know what that means. All I know is you are drink this coffee. Your nipples will get rock hard. It's rich. It's smoky. Non-GMO verified. Instant espresso. Mix hot or cold, dude. Want espresso just to throw hot water on there? Boom, seconds done. Want iced coffee or Americano? Put eight to ten ounces of hot water or cold water. Bam, you're done, dude. Okay? So if you're up all night burning the midnight oil, searching for the truth, or you're Google, <laughs> or before Google erases the deal that takes advantage of 30% of your first offer. So Google, before Google erases this deal, okay, take advantage of 30% off your first order. Just go to Strong. Cat coffee ltd.com backslash tinfoil hat that's strong coffee ltd.com tinfoil no hat tinfoil for 30 percent off try finding that that's strong coffee ltd.com slash tinfoil and you'll get 30 percent off i love coffee and i love weed coffee okay Go check it out. It's CBD. It's not weed. We appreciate our sponsors, and we appreciate you listening to our sponsors. If you listen to the sponsors, you engage in our sponsors, you help the show. Enough of the talk. Back by popular demand. I I swear, dude, we've done so many shows. The feedback on this show had to be up there. This Listen, man, uh, this is I, I very rarely can uh, bestow this honor on on any guest. Very rarely I could do that. But I can say this man has entered Eddie Bravo level celebrity on Tinfoil Hat. He's the man. He's the myth. He's a legend. Please welcome John Barber back to the show. John, how are you? Sam, Sam, Sam. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I am so delighted to be here. And I must tell you, you got my five bucks. And I am so anxious to drink some coffee that cat with caffeine that doesn't go to your brain but goes to your nipples instead. Yes, drink <laughs> that. And also, the Epstein T-shirt. You have it. You know, you showed us the front of the shirt. You got to put something on the back, and I would put on the back, 
Dershowitz, because <laughs> Dershowitz was a guy that kept him out of court. Or if you don't want to do Trump's lawyer, put Hillary on oh, the back. That'd be great. You'll sell a lot of those shirts. And the L.A. hat you're wearing is just fabulous because it says the L.A. stands for lost again. Oh, <laughs> feelings, nothing more than feelings. I can't even sing that YouTube is so deadly with this whole here and things. But let me say something, John. Uh, the feedback was in- incredible. Your JFK uh, episode the Garrison Files blew everybody's mind. I mean, little did anybody know that uh, closeted homosexuality was the reason our great president died. I say <laughs> celebrate the gays. I do, dude. If you're gay, come out. Do you. So they don't use you to take out our next president because we'd hate that. So I got I got hit up by our booker, Allie, um, and she's like, Barbara wants to come back on. He's got some inside information on MLK. And I'm like, oh, this guy's going to blow my skull. Uh, do we in the room want to remember JFK the way we want to remember JFK? Or do we want some truth bombs from one of my new best friends in the world, John Barber? I'm going to go around XG thoughts. Truth bombs. You what want you truth yeah. bombs? Johnny, you you love black people. Do you want to hear the truth about black people? Always want Bla- the truth about over black fantasy. Messiah, are you ready? Always the truth over fantasy. Okay, yes. so if you want to hold on to whatever you believe about Martin Luther King, and hey, he might not have anything on who Martin Luther King is. It might be who conspired. Who knows? I'm just saying you might want to now, but if you want the truth, sit down, buckle up, because John Barber is back to drop some mega truth bombs on us about Martin Luther King. Because the whole thing, I've, I, I'll let John take over after this. But, you know, is, is, is Martin Luther King controlled opposition? Was he created to counter Malcolm X? You know, I mean, what do we know about people who get huge? They tend to be backed by the CIA. That's my opinion. Who knows? Uh, but John's got some inside information. I know John's been studying this stuff for a very long time. So anytime we can hear from him, uh, we would love to. John, where do we start on this? I have no notes. I'm just like, we got to do this. I'm going to let John take off. John, take us A to Z on what you have found and what you believe happened. Oh, Sam, you're an absolute treasure. And God, so is your show and everyone there. And this time, I don't care. Allison didn't send it to me. You didn't send it to me. So I'm asking Johnny, send me the address. I can send you the best book ever written about anybody in show business and anybody in the media like you guys (laughs) should read it. Now, before we went onto the air, Sam, you said I thought you thought I might blow your mind with some of the truths. Well, indeed, (laughs) I hope it's a a mind open enough to be blown. Yeah. But the thing is, <laughs> the, the thing is that I, this is the very, very first time I have ever talked in depth about the murder of Martin Luther King and all of the information that has been burdening my mind for all of these years. Information imparted to me by my close friend Dick Gregory, who did the liner mo- notes on my album to help me get getting started as a comic and by uh, Mark Lane. Uh, Mark Lane first brought Jane Fonda to me when I had the most successful morning show in America. She wanted to talk about the war. And in the late 70s, they published a book. They published a book called Codename Zorro. I was a critic at KNBC at the time. Now, the reason I am 
I'm only going to do this this one time because I absolutely love you and your show, and it allows me to unburden these truths that I've carried, and I'm you're literally going to be shocked by a lot of the truth bombs that are going to explode in front <laughs> of your it. very eyes tonight. I love it. And, Thank you. And the reason, the reason I don't talk about it, or the Robert Kennedy murder. I am a, I am probably the most knowledgeable person in the world, outside, including Lisa Peace, who wrote a great book called uh, A Lie Too Big to Fail about the murder of Robert Kennedy, because I myself and uh, and uh, the uh, the attorney, the attorney for uh, uh, the coroner, Thomas Noguchi, did the autopsy on Robert Kennedy. And the autopsy, if you see the movie about JFK, the uh, when we show you the part about Martin Luther King, there you see doc, uh, uh, Dr. Noguchi's autopsy, which says that the fatal shot that killed Robert Kennedy was fired from no more than two inches from the uh, back of his head because of the extensive powder burns. The CIA and city council and the L.A. police, infiltrated by the CIA, tried to get him to change his autopsy. And he refused to do so. because So they decided they were going to get rid of him. And myself and Godfrey Isaacs, who was his attorney, created a, 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 a committee to save a, po a politically independent coroner for the county of Los Angeles. And unfortunately, we lost. But... Sirhan was no more than six feet in front of Bobby Kennedy, and he was firing blanks because if they'd fired real shots from his 22, it would have killed Thane Cesar, who was the actual shooter of Bobby Kennedy from behind. And then afterwards, Thane Cesar retired and moved to the Philippines. Now, he just died, I right, John? He just died, and one of the Kennedys came out and said, the man who actually shot my father uh, is this man, and that was a cop, and you see pictures of the gentleman you just mentioned uh, all around him, and that that's who the actual guy that committed the crime, right? Is that, am exactly. I also, when I was doing the film, uh, uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr., Four years ago, I was putting on the 50th anniversary. Nobody would take my documentary even for nothing. So uh, the best newsman in uh, Las Vegas, his name is George Knapp. He's the Sunday night host of Coast to Coast and the most popular host of Coast to Coast. He said, you know, John, let's do it. Let's do something at UNLV. So the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, gave me their theaters and their facilities, a 1,200-seat theater. We were going to show the garrison tapes. Now, I have a good friend, Dick Russell, who wrote a wonderful book about a guy named Richard K. Snagel. Uh, it's called The Man Who Knew Too Much. Richard K. Snagel was third in line to be a patsy for the murder of John Kennedy. Uh, the first, of course, was Lee Harvey Oswald, but in case he wasn't murdered when they found him in the Texas theater. And by the way, the reason Tippett was shot, as claimed by Jim Garrison, is because nobody in the police department loves a cop killer. So they were sure that once they said this cop killer and they found him in the Texas theater, somebody would blow his brains out. But unfortunately, an honest cop got to him and just punched him out. 
But in any event, Richard Case Nagel was third in line to be the patsy. Oh, my Because God. he was the contact to Lee Harvey Oswald and Lee Harvey. And when he was writing or contacting the FBI and the CIA to get, uh, keeping track of Oswald, about six weeks beforehand, they stopped answering him. And he got nervous. What if it doesn't work with Lee? They're going to nail me. He went to El Paso, Texas, walked into a bank, Sam, pulled out a revolver, emptied his gun into the ceiling and waited for the cops to arrest him, which they did. And they want to know, what would you do? Are you nuts? Why did you do that? He said, I don't want to be in Dallas on November 22nd. So they locked him up and they sent, and they sent him to an insane asylum, which happened. So in any event, Wow. The, re- the reason the reason I do not want uh, and I'm so glad I'm going to tell you some stuff that is thrilling and chilling because I people are after me to talk about 911 about Bobby Kennedy about Martin Luther King about John I avoid it all because while working with Garrison and researching these two definitive films I had to learn all about the other political assassinations of the 60s. And it was just too overwhelming. I always felt the linchpin was John Kennedy, which is a cold case at the Justice Department. You get that into an open courtroom, you tug at that thread, and the whole cover-up blanket of secrecy in this country about the political assassinations will reveal what they did to Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy and even John Leonard, but uh, uh, John Lennon. But let's start at the top. There are two tops. The first top we start at is the House Select Committee on Assassinations, how they were sabotaged openly and more savagely than was the Warren Report. The Warren Report was held in secret for nine months. But, okay, now that's the one top we'll get to. The other top is this. I want your audience, if they love a great Agatha Christie, Sherlock Holmes true crime read, the most definitive book on the murder of Martin Luther King is called the plot to kill the king oh by William Pepper. I had William Pepper twice on my show last year before I stopped doing a show because I couldn't compete with people like you. And I had a book to sell. And he was the lawyer for uh, James Earl Ray when Ray was in, in court for the murder to uh, murdering uh, Martin Luther King. But also, more importantly, He was the lawyer who represented Coretta King and the three sons in a civil case in 1999, which they won against the federal government, accusing them of conspiracy to commit murder in murdering the husband and the father. And the uh, information I will impart to you about the material in this book is going to chill you to death. The other book that you should read, I don't have a copy of it right here except for the original title. The original book was called Code Main Zorro. At the time, Sam, it was late 1970s, and I was the uh, media critic for NBC in Los Angeles. I had no contract 
with KNBC, even though they were after me every week to sign a contract, because if I signed a contract and I was only getting $300 a week, oh my God. I was responsible for 10% of all of their audience while their weather girl, Kelly Lang, who got 20 minutes a week on the air, was getting $100,000. I was only getting $300, $300 a week. Hold but on. Any, a but, weather girl was getting a hundred grand, a hundred grand a week. And you were yeah. getting, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Where's the me too when that happened? (laughs) Hey, she was the first hundred grand weather girl in the country. And she was recreated in uh, Patty Shayefsky's brilliant network. Remember? Yeah. Remember Bill Holt's girlfriend, Dave Dunway? That is Kelly Lang. And when you read those parts of the book, you're going to wet your pants because it's really funny. But in any event, I, 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 I never signed a contract because then they would own my material. And I didn't want anybody to own my meager material. And uh, Mark Lane sends me his book. It's by Mark and uh, Dick Gregory. Now, of course, I met Mark when he introduced me to Jane Fonda. And Dick Gregory became a major force in my career, and I'm going to talk about him at some length right here in a minute, but since you're a comic also, you tell your audience who Dick Gregory was. Dick Gregory was one of the, uh, the kind of the, the, the revolutionary comedians of back in the day. Like, he kind of was predecessor to even uh, Richard Pryor. You know, he was uh, one of the original guys that was pushing uh, the, uh, you know, well, I don't want to say urban, but the voice of the black community when nobody else was. He was in that group that worked with, like, Bill Russell, Jim Brown, all those other civil rights leaders. You know, he was part of that group that was the voice for the black community when they had no voice. He was able to get into certain uh, productions, shows, movies, uh, <clears throat> comedy specials, and voice an opinion that wasn't really allowed to be heard at that point. And, and, it, and it all happened quite by accident. Dick Russell was a really nice-looking young man, wore a dark suit, sat on a stool, and he could have been America's black Bob Hope. And he was from Chicago, And his first appearance at the Playboy Club in Chicago was an accident. There was a businessman's meeting, and the comic who was slated to appear that night couldn't make it, so they sent in this guy named uh, Dick Dick Gregory. He got $50 for his appearance. But as it would happen, there happened to be a guy from Time Magazine who was in the businessman's meeting, and he wrote five sentences about Dick Gregory. And the next year he was a millionaire he could have been the black bob hope but after a couple of years of making all this money he realized he had to do a lot more for his people than just tell these great jokes and so he became aligned with martin luther king and the civil rights movement john can i ask you a question john did he at any point feel you know we see this a lot in modern day hip-hop rap music where these guys kind of get pushed forward through the uh, industry, the suits, the uh, dark arts people, and when they kind of try to go off reservation, you know, bad things kind of happened to him. Was did Dick Gregory ever express that he felt that his uh, uh, being so opinionated on white America and the treatment of Black America did he ever feel pressure not to talk about that? 
No, Sam, he made more. And I'll tell you how it happened. It's the same as same as you. I mean, you you deserve to be on national television if we really had a free press and we really had public airways. But you're in the Internet doing great. He used to get twenty five thousand dollars for a speech. Twenty five. My uh, my close friend is a fellow named Sean Lawton. Sean Lawton was one of the speakers agents for an outfit in Arlington, Virginia, called the Kepler Company. And Dick Gregory would go out and give speeches and the speeches he gave. I'll give you uh, I'm going to put that on pause a second because I want to get back to the business of the book that he wrote. But it's worth the wait to get back to this pause because you're going to be shocked (laughs) at what he says and shows on video. Anyway, what happened is I read the, the book. And it was fabulous. And it was all information discovered in the House Select Committee about the fact that it couldn't have been James Earl Ray who murdered Dr. Martin Luther King. It just couldn't have been. Nothing but facts. So uh, the only one person ever read my review, and that was a news director. His name was Erwin Savchek. And I went in there and I showed him the review. He said, you're not putting this shit on the air. what What are you talking about? He said, these conspiracy theorists. And so I said to him, hold it, let me ask you a question. Let's say there are two cans of garbage there. And you have Mother Teresa saying to you, take this can of garbage out. You're going to take it out right away. Now, let's say you had Adolf Hitler on the other side of the room. And he says, hey, there's a can of garbage there. Take the garbage out. You're not going to listen to it because it's Hitler telling you there's garbage there. It's the messenger. And I said, I'm telling you. These guys are not conspiracy theorists. They're reporting the conspiracy facts as uncovered by supposedly our government. He said, you're not getting on the air. You're fired. Oh, my God. And so I went home and I called my attorney. My attorney's name was George Bain. And I said, George, I want to file a million dollar lawsuit against NBC. He said, what on earth for? I said, they denied me my First Amendment rights. And he said, what First Amendment rights? I said, hey, hold it. Look at your constitution. I think it's number one there. Uh And he said, you don't have any. I said, what do you mean I don't have any? I do. He said, no, you're an employee. NBC has the First Amendment rights. If you want First Amendment rights that strong, build your own network. So that was over with. And I I get a call. I'm supposed to be on the 6 o'clock news with Tom Snyder. And I get a call from Irvin Savchik, and he said, can you get here at 11 o'clock to be on with Tom Brokaw and do your goddamn review? So <laughs> what, had, what had happened is by mistake, they put out uh, previews in the morning of the fact that John Barber was going to review this new book about the assassination. And so I came on, I did the review sold a lot of books. And then the next day I went into Mr. Sabchet's office and I said, Hey, is the government still around? Uh-huh. And he threw me out of the office again. <laughs> but I, I will tell you something quite honestly, the black press and the black establishment is as cowardly and as corrupt as a white establishment and the white press when it comes to try to expose uncomfortable truths in this country that could be easily, easily solved. And I'll tell you, 
as 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 Jim Garrison said in the documentary, the assassination of John Kennedy and Dealey Plaza is a no risk operation because you have the media that's going to cooperate beforehand. And then you have the Dallas police. It would have been impossible to murder Martin Luther King unless major black figures led him to the Lorraine Motel in Dallas. And I'm going to show you the facts and the proofs that got him there and got him killed. And we will name names and it'll clear your hair. So I love it. Hold on, John, real quick. I want to say something about your statement about black media. I'm going to be honest with you. I completely agree with you. Uh, Right now, we have major, major, major slave trades going on in the Middle East, in particular Libya, uh, through the assassination of Muammar Gaddafi by uh, by, uh, Obama, Barack Obama, uh, a.k.a. Black Jesus, okay, and our good friend Hillary Clinton. They assassinated him uh, because he wanted to get off the petrodollar. And there is now open-air slave trade. It is so – the black – the power uh, elites of the black community do not care. I actually hear comedians doing jokes about it. Black comics – who uh, can't can't uh, can't quick enough uh, mention uh, white people and their oppression? And I love some of my favorite comics are black comics. They're the be- Dave Chappelle, Ian Edwards, uh, Brian Browers. They're the best. But it, none of nobody's talking about uh, slavery in Libya. None of these comics are discussing it. I've only heard one rapper talk about it, and that's Ti. Nobody else. Jay Z, who's Quick to jump in the NFL mix. Where's LeBron James talking about it? Nobody's talking. Nobody's talking about it. They're only talking about keynotes, about stuff that happened 200 and some years ago, which is bad, but they say it because it mucks it up. It mucks it up. It gets black and white fighting with each other. You're going to learn two things about the black media that's uncomfortable and how cruel people can be to their own own kind. Uh, Did you see a, a, a movie called The Boys in Brazil with uh, uh, um, uh, Lawrence Olivier. I did Dustin not, but Johnny Hoffman. says he saw it. Johnny, you saw it? Oh, you saw it, Johnny? Uh, yeah, yeah might- I've seen that. I saw it when I was a kid, yeah. Yeah, you might remember this scene. Lawrence Olivier was a commandant of a death camp in Germany, and he's walking down Fifth Avenue, and there's 70-some-odd-year-old lady on the other side of the street who survives that camp and recognize him. And that's how the movie begins. It's a great start. Well, there is a very, very true story. My, the guy who wrote, I mentioned this to you in the last year, the best book ever about show business that I ever read was Ben Hecht's A Child is a Century. The highest paid screenwriter in Hollywood wrote Gone with the Wind, the film, in 12 days and never read the book, just read a 30-page synopsis, became the first propagandist for the non-existent state of Israel. Well, in the early 50s, 1953, in Tel Aviv, there's a Dr. Kastner who is very prominent in the Knesset in Israel, friends with the prime minister, runs around with the heads of Mossad. And here's this survivor of Dachau who recognized Dr. Kastner as the Jew who helped the Nazis incinerate thousands of people. Now, they tried to quiet her, but what happened is she found a few other survivors who identified the guy. Now, the the media in Israel tried to suppress it for a year and a half, and they finally couldn't. 
and they finally arrested him and put him on trial, Ben Hecht went to Israel and covered the trial. It's in a free book on the internet called Perfidy. And the reason I'm mentioning this, because I'm going to show tell you how evil blacks can be to blacks as Jews can be to Jews. What happened is Kastner, it was proven, incinerated, helped the Nazis incinerate 10,000 Jews. And the reason he did this is because he said that the new Israel and Palestine must be created by the brightest and the best and the wealthiest and not the riffraff. And Dude, the 10,000. That's it right there. That's that, it, that, John. Now, that book well, now. The same thing happened with Dr. Martin Luther King and the way John, he was real set quick, up. real I'm quick, just, real quick, John, because you throw out so much incredible information. You know, okay. a lot of people, uh, you know, we've had people, you remember when we were in Sacramento, guys, like, when you do an episode on the uh, Holocaust, you know, Holocaust deniers. Holocaust deniers. And, you know, I have no interest in that. But I do have interest in is in talking about who caused this. And, like, I, I, dude, we're just a, we're just a search engine, this show. We're just a search engine. We collect the information out there. We present it. And you digest what you enjoy. Listen, man. Okay. Who was Hitler? Who is Hitler's father? Who is Hitler's mo- grandmother? Who is Hitler's grandmother's lover? Who uh, funded the, the 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 Nazis? Who was part of the Belford Agreement? Was that it? The Belford gr- Agreement, Johnny? Is that what it's called? Johnny wants nothing to do with this this conversation. Who are those people? And we you realize know, they're the same uh, people. They're called Rothschilds. The United States and England gave Hitler the Scorda munitions works in Czechoslovakia because they hoped with the new weapons he would invade the Soviet Union and destroy the communist revolution. Listen, IBM supplied the machinery that with the numbers for the Jews and uh, wow. Ford uh, supplied motor cars and the Dulles Bank, John Foster and Alan Dulles Bank, lent $1 million to Hitler in 1935. So he was funded by a lot of fascists like, like himself. But let's get back to Martin Luther King. I've recommended Another two day, books. for sure. For now, sure. we live in a tweet world. Yes. A lot of you may not want to read these books, but write this down right now. The untold truth about the Martin Luther King murder. It's called The Untold Truth of the Martin Luther King Murder, and Google it. It's only 29 minutes. Now, what you will see in this 29 minutes, you're going to see the reason that Martin Luther King was killed because of the speech he gave. You're going to see Dick Gregory exposing the minister who, along with Jesse Jackson, helped set up the murder of Martin Luther King. Now, I'm going to put that on pause right now while I take you back to the I Have a Dream speech. One million people gathered in Washington, D.C. to talk about civil rights. It was not difficult to talk about civil rights in the United States back then because it's in the Constitution. You shouldn't have to march on Washington to get your civil rights. He never wrote in his type speech, I Have a Dream. The owner of that speech, he's a retired basketball player who was offered a half a million dollars two years ago 
for that typed speech. And the reason he didn't sell it, it was typed by Martin Luther King himself, not by a secretary. But there's nothing in there about I have a dream. One million people are there at the plaza. And the reaction to his speech is so monumental and the pause is so long. Mahalia Jackson leans into him during one of these moments and says, Martin, why don't you tell the people about the dream that you're always telling us about in private? So when he came back, he started to talk about, I have a dream. Again, this wonderful thing happened by accident. And what is reported in this book, The Plot to Kill the King by William Pepper is, of course, he was being watched and recorded from the top of all the buildings around. And one of the generals identified by William Pepper in the book says, no black man should ever have that much power in this country. Now, early 1968, Jesus. he's beginning to think like Malcolm X. And he's be thinking, beginning to think about Muhammad Ali. Hey, we don't want to go to fight those yellow people because Dr. King noticed that more poor blacks, more poor Chicanos, more poor whites were coming back in body gags than middle class whites. And he thought openly of going to Vietnam and actually asking these people to put their guns down. And he went to the Riverside Church. You can Google this. Early 1968. 5,000 people are in the church. They have to put out loudspeakers on the street so another 15,000 can hear. And Martin Luther King says to the congregation, I hate to say this, with a heavy heart, I have to say, the greatest terrorist organization in the world is my government and my Pentagon. I couldn't agree and, more. And then on April 4th, it has brains blown up. Now, I am upset at the fact that we celebrate his birthday with a holiday on the day he was born. We should be recognizing the day he died, April 4th, the same way we should recognize November 22nd. They should both be America's Bastille days. You know, Dr. King made the greatest, shortest comment to me about it's smarter than Shakespeare. It's smarter than Mark Twain, my two favorite writers. Guess what he called the riot, Sam? What? He said, a riot is the language of the unheard. Is that unbelievable? Now we'll go back to this. The untold truth about the murder of Martin Luther King. You Google that and you should play the last part of this for your audience. What has happened is that Martin Luther King decides not as he's going to fight against the war, he is now going to look for an economic bill of rights for the entire country. That meant a redistribution of the wealth of the United States of America, which is considerable. In this speech, which is never broadcast, he his knowledge of American history is Incredible. And he's talking about the aftermath of the Civil War. He said, after the Civil War, no blacks, as promised, got their 40 acres and a mule. They were all given to white Europeans to make sure that it was whites who were populating the South and succeeding and not the blacks. And the last line of the speech was, and the last line of his life was, let's go to Washington 
and cash our checks. Well, that scared the shit out of the establishment because, you know, you'll get a million people talking about civil rights, but if you're going to talk about inequality in economics in this country and poor people, you can get three million people to show up at a march like that. And they wanted to get rid of them and they got rid of them immediately. Now, the other thing that you will see in this untold truth about the murder of Martin Luther King, Dick Gregory would go to all of these colleges and a lot of major corporations, by the way, $25,000 he got for the Kepler agency doing really, really well, spreading the truth, thank God. But nobody saw it except these small groups of a couple of hundred people. He got a video of a minister by the name of Kyle. And 20 years after the murder of Martin Luther King, Reverend Kyle, and this is how Dick Gregory describes it when you take a look at the video. He's talking to his audience, and Dick's an older man by this time. He's like 70 years of age. And he said, God works in very mysterious ways to reveal the truth. Because what happens is if you watch this video, you will see God put the words of truth in the Reverend Kyle's mouth, finally. And what it is that Reverend Kyle's talking about, he said he's standing next to Martin Luther King on the balcony, right next to him. And then he says, I moved away so they could get a clear shot. Oh, oh and, my and the, God. And, then, and the shot rings out. Now you hear the audience, when, Dick, when they see, the audience sees that, they gasp, but now the, Dick carries it on further. He names, he said, he said, first of all, Dr. King did not want to go to Memphis. He was organizing the Poor People's March. He was talked into going to Memphis by um, Jesse Jackson and Reverend Kyle. He was in a white hotel. And then what happened is J. Edgar Hoover got his lackeys in the media at work and they were criticizing him for going to a white hotel and why didn't he move? So he moved to the Lorraine Motel and they got him on the first floor. But there's no balcony on the first floor. How can you shoot a guy through the window, you know? So Jesse Jackson arranges for him to get the upstairs. And Dick Gregory says pointedly, he said it in five different uh, lectures that he gave around the country. I saw all of them. Jesse Jackson was an aide who helped the FBI murder Martin Luther King, and Jackson never sued him. And it's all over the internet, and the same with Kyle. And, and, and then Jesse said, one of the ways you could tell who was helping who is the bad guys were wearing ties. And 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 the good guy, the good guy, the good guys weren't weren't wearing the ties. Now, hold on, hold on, John, John. So yes. that, I mean, is that literal? I mean, were the guys on the balcony with ties had bad guys and guys with no ties? Yeah, no some had ties. And then the uh, the fella, it was proven in the trial, the, uh, the the civil trial, and I'll tell you how the civil trial came about. And again, shame on the press. And I will tell you a story about my own dealings with Ebony Magazine. Because Dick Gregory, Dick Gregory was made a star by the white press, which happened to be Time Magazine. Dick Gregory helped me get my, uh, my, uh, my album out 
I, it was recorded on Pacific Jazz, and they were nervous about it. Dick said, I'll take care of it. I'll do the liner notes. And one of the notes he put on the back of my album, Sam, he said, John, I'd love to say your material's dynamite, but I don't want these guys throwing it into my church. So, but in, in any event, I was booked into the Playboy Club in Atlanta. I was booked into Miami, and I did my material to a mixed audience and got an unbelievable response. I was now booked into the L.A. club. And what happens a week and a half before I'm booked, Sam, is the Watts riots hit. Oh, my God. And when I go in to L.A., now, uh, uh, already uh, the L.A. Times said it was the worst taste album in history. And I wrote a note to the critic, and I said, you're supposed to listen to it, not eat it. So, But anyway, I'm booked in there, and I'm greeted by a fellow named Lee Wolfberg, who is the manager of the Playboy Club, and he's holding a magnum in his hand. A magnum! And he said, I bought this a week and a half ago, and you're not going to do your tough-to-be-white shit at my club. You go back and you do the safe uh, um, stuff, the Jew Scott stuff, or whatever your routines were, were when you were on Dean's show or, or you were on the Merv Griffin show. That's You're not going to do any of the black stuff. So I, I say I'm not going to do it, I promise, and I try to remember my material. I go out on stage. I'm introduced by the nicest, sweetest young black man who is now the manager of the comedy room. And his name was George. And on the third floor, if you've been in the Playboy Club, you notice they have these wall-to-wall windows and you can see all of South Los Angeles and the smoke is still still coming out. In any event, I don't know why I did it. I said, you know, I want to thank George so much. He gave me a great introduction. I want to thank George so much for that wonderful introduction. And, you know, uh, 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 two weeks ago before the riots, he was a busboy. But now they don't trust him around the knives and forks. Well, he got an ovation. And he laughed and applauded and blacks. So I did my act. And when I got off stage, Wolfberg was literally pointing the gun at me. Oh, my God. And he said, you utter one more black joke and you're done. And I said, but you heard them. They laughed. They loved it. He said, I don't give a shit. They don't hire you. I hired you. You're not going to do it. And I said, well, what if I can prove to you that blacks really love it. I don't give a shit what you do. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I called the editor of Ebony Magazine on Wilshire Boulevard, went down and met with him, and his staff listened to the album, and they loved it. And I said, book me in the blackest club in Watts. So they booked me into the blackest club in Watts. Now, if you've ever seen uh, black audiences, they are really terrifying the creature from the black lagoon or they are heaven sent i mean they are I not couldn't quiet. Agree more john i could not agree more it's like when you do a black room you they either love you or man oh. they hate now if you're the first white guy you're good to go if you're the second <laughs> white guy why are you trying to take over our shows brother you're just gentrifying <laughs> our shows that's funny. So anyway, my wife and I are the only two white people. There. It's all black. And it happens to be about black uh, talent night. And I f- followed a very bad black doing a very bad impression of Jerry Lewis. And oh, my God, they they did everything but kill the guy. Yeah. And he's dude, on stage. Brutal. Now, ordinarily. Yeah. Yeah. 
The MC would have introduced me, but the owner who was older, he thought, well, I'm going to introduce you. So he gave me a, a sweet introduction about, I, I was discovered by brother Gregory, which got an ovation. And he did this album called It's Tough to Be White. There were mixed up applause like that. And uh, they were still booing the, the kid the kid before me. And, and and I didn't know how to start because they were still rumbling. And one guy hollered out, hey, Jenny, it's really tough to follow Gibby, isn't it? And the audience howls. And I said, that's what I hear from the police department, too. They gave me an absolute ovation. It was, And when I finished doing the entire album... It was the only stand ovation I ever got from my material. Ebony Magazine had photographers there. They had everybody there. And they were thrilled beyond belief. And I thought, my God, the white press made Dick with Time Magazine. Maybe the black press will make me. And I waited for two weeks and nothing happened. And then I finally called the editor and asked him what happened. He was totally brokenhearted. He said, John, we love the story. The material's hilarious. We quoted some of the stuff and your exchanges with the audience. Oh, my God, it's so good. But the owner says no. And the owner said no because we are trying to solve the problem of race and integration in this country. And Johnny Barber is just bringing it to light again. So you're not going to publish it. And fortunately for me, a guy named Perry Cross who was managing the talent scout show loved the album and he called me he said can you do five minutes without mentioning blacks and i said <laughs> yeah so i got on the talent scout show the only one to ever be brought back a second time but that's my experience with the black press now get this they have this trial in memphis in 1999 with coretta king and her sons charging the federal government with conspiracy in the murder of Martin Luther King. And the trial does not start because of encouragement from blacks. It doesn't start in from even encouragement from the lawyer, who is William Pepper, who's also a brilliant investigator. It started by a 73-year-old white man. And he, uh, this uh, 73-year-old uh, white man was named Jowers. And Mr. Jowers, who was now ill, owned the bar and the restaurant behind the Lorraine Motel, from which the, the assassins assembled. Oh, my God. And Mr. Bowers told William Pepper and the King family, the King family directly, he was paid $100,000 for the use of his restaurant and paid by a guy he named Frank Roberto. Whether that's a guy's name or not, I don't know. And so the trial opens, and he is too ill to testify. But Sam Donaldson at ABC hears about this witness who says he's paid $100,000 as part of this conspiracy, comes down and puts him on camera for an hour, and ABC tells Sam Donaldson he can never air it. Oh my. The trial is covered only by Dick Gregory. Ebony Magazine is not there. Time Magazine is not there. Newsweek. No black media covered this unbelievable trial, which the King family won. Now, get, get, 
this. The King family could have gotten millions, millions. You know how much they asked for? How much? $1,000, which was the cost of the funeral for Dr. King. Wow. Man, my heart just sunk. Oh, man. Is that that heartbreaking? Now, in this phenomenal, phenomenal book, what it does, it tracks down parallel assassination teams. You had the assassination team that was working out of the uh, Jowers restaurant and bar behind uh, the Lorraine Motel, but then you also had a team who were there ready to shoot to kill. They were army sniper experts. And according to Dr. Uh, 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 William Pepper, they videoed the assassination of Martin Luther King because they were beaten to the kill shots. They had they had come across this, uh, this other group, and the book tells a story. Now, when I interviewed... Here's the thing. Hold on, just, hold on, hold on, John, John, yeah, hold on. Yeah. You just dropped some major bombs there. So you're telling me, which, you know, I've heard this before uh, when, when it involved JFK, that there were there were multiple kill teams coming. Like, the, the, it basically, you know, we don't got to get too much into JFK right now, but that the, yeah. the whole plaza was, it was like JFK was like John Wick and like everybody around him was yeah. like an assassin yeah. and... Uh, are you telling me this is the same thing that happened with Martin Luther King? Like this was, they had to get this done and they weren't, there was, there's basically no way King was making it out of there. And I mean, he, uh, reports are he did make it, but that's a different story. We'll get into that in a few, but there were multiple kill teams. Is that what you're telling me? According to uh, Pepper's book, which I believe because he documents everything, everything is totally documented. So there's never, when, when he says it was a memo, he produces the memo. I, it, it, but when I had him on my show, he said to me one of the things that almost made me cry on camera because, and I don't know why I asked this question. I said to him, you know, Dr. King was shot in the chin. I said, you know, John Kennedy was shot in the throat and in the head, but there was still an attempt to keep him alive because there were sort of some hints of breath somewhere. And that Dr. Perry had uh, uh, inserted a tube in the trachea to get air into the lungs. Did he die from a gunshot wound to the chin? And William Pepper said to me, John, nobody has asked me that question. And I've been reluctant to answer it, even though it's in my book. But I'll tell you what is in the book, because it's all verified. But I cannot tell you the lady's name, because it would be certain death. If I told you the lady's name. So I can only tell you what's in the book and you'll have to believe what it is that I'm saying. Dr. King did not die on the balcony. And he says, as a matter of fact, the guy that is cradling him, you show a picture a, a minute ago. The guy that is cradling Dr. King is an undercover cop. And he was this was proven in the trial in Memphis. He was so far undercover, he was never paid by either the police department or any intelligence agency. He was paid by the phone company. And all of these records came up in court. But anyway, he said to me, Dr. King was rushed to the hospital. There must have been 20 Secret Service and intelligence blue suits in that hospital waiting for Dr. King because he was not going to get out of there alive. He was alive when he arrived at the hospital. 
He was put on a cot in a closed room. I ran across a female worker who was about 25 feet away looking through a crack in the door, and she saw three men in suits smothering Dr. King with pillows, and we could see his body thrashing. He was smothered to death. Probably that's why there was no autopsy. He didn't die of a gunshot wound. This sounds exactly like the Seth Rich murder, that he got to oh. the hospital and he was alive. Yeah. And they were all there. And then Donna Brazil, fucking, oh, my God, man. Well, and, 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 you know, I must tell you, uh, uh, Sam, as I said at the top, I am glad that your head exploding and my head is relieved of this because I've carried this around for a long time. I would like to, uh, uh, on a slightly, slightly, uh, lighter note, tell you how I happened to come up with the idea. I was only 33 years of age and still struggling. You know, uh, when I was a kid in Toronto and I was struggling to get into the United States, struggling so hard, I was deported twice. But when I was a kid, Sam, I must tell you, I was literally shocked whenever I found out somebody was evil. Now that I've lived in the United States for seven years, I'm shocked when I find out they're good. <laughs> That's why I'm so thrilled to be on a show like yours and other shows like this. But I was 33 years of age, and I was doing okay as a comic. And I'm sitting, do you remember David Susskind? I know the name. I, I, I'm blanking right now. Uh, okay. Uh, David Susskind was one of television's most successful and classiest producers of movies made for television. He had the entire library of MGM movies to make, which he got through a fraud, but it was brilliant. It, his son told me the story about it. He also had a show called Open End, and it was a lot like uh, uh, um, uh, William Buckley's show, Firing Line, uh, only it was very, show. very liberal. I'm watching this show, and he... He was very passionate, very liberal, and very hard on his shoulder or on his sleeve or whatever you say. Two of his guests. One guest is a 63-year-old Jew who'd been sentenced to murder uh, that he didn't commit and served 29 years. And the other guest was a black guy who was about 57 who, when he was... Uh, about 35 or 40, was sentenced to 17 years for a murder he did not commit. And Jake Ehrlich was the attorney who helped get them both off. And Jake Ehrlich was like the Clarence Darrow of uh, San Francisco, very bright lawyer and a very famous drunk. And he happened to also be drunk the night that he was on with David Susskind. So, of course, if you're looking at the show, Sam, it's obvious the Jew had the worst of it and not the black guy. But David leans forward and he says to Jake, he says, Jake, how is it you have this black man in this country where we're supposed to have equal rights and he sends the 17 years in prison for a murder he didn't commit? How could that happen? And Jake says, David, 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 look at him. He just said he's a black man. And you know, in America, when they arrest a black man, 
he doesn't stand a Chinaman's chance. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, man. This is the right price for that joke. <laughs> I fell over. I started screaming. And I sat down in a half an hour. I wrote the entire album. It's tough to be white. And if you go to my site, you can, the clips from the album, even though I wasn't a very good performer at the time, but the material is still topical. It's just terrific at this late date. Yeah. Here's John. Uh, I want to, I want to get into something real quick because I mean, we kind of talked about this, Uh, you know, I mean, three oh, the guys throwing the uh, putting the, the the pillow on him. Did she ever tell you who she thought they were, who they were were masquerading as, or did he, the guy who told you what the nurse said, tell you who he thought they were? Did they ever identify who they were, or what? I mean, like she saw it. What did she free? I mean, like that's like huge news. It is. They're all black suits. They're all blue suits. They don't. Nobody knows who they are. You had thirty or forty guys in suits waiting for Doctor King's body to show up. The only person who could be identified is the woman who saw it, and he won't reveal her name because her life wouldn't be safe. But the story in the book just—it's unbelievable. It's it's, un, it's like if you ever Google. Uh, do you remember May Brussels? Ever heard of May Brussel? No. Oh, my God. You're in for a treat. Oh, my God. May Brussel was, here is a Beverly Hills housewife. She is the granddaughter of the guy that uh, found uh, one of the greatest department stores in America. She's a Beverly Hills housewife, a millionaire. She's got five kids. And she becomes very suspicious of the murder of John Kennedy after she sees uh, Lee Harvey Oswald movie, move, uh, murdered by Jack Ruby. She becomes the greatest broadcaster and researcher in the history of the world. You take the Mark Lanes and you take all of them. You combine them. They don't equal May Brussel. You go to the May Brussel archives. And you can listen to all this stuff about Martin Luther King, about Robert Kennedy, about John. But the one I suggest you watch, and this is the reason I absolutely loathe that movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. If you go to May Brussel talking about Charlie Manson as a patsy. Now, yeah. whoever heard of Charlie Manson being a patsy, just as evil guy? And she starts off with a simple observation. She said, guys who... Guys and girls, teenagers who are high on dope, don't climb telephone poles to cut telephone wires. Only the military does. And then she explains. Oh, my God. It was Tex Watson who carved up that pregnant lady, stabbed her 47 times. And they were trying to create a race war. That's why they wrote Helster Skelter on the wall, and one of the credit cards they stole, they planted in Watts. And it was only an accident uh, that one of the girls was in jail, and she happened to tell this story to another girl who told the cops, or they would have never found Charlie Manson and the girls. It was Tex Watson who did the killing. It wasn't Charlie Manson. But when I heard her hour, it was as terrifying as imagining Dr. King being smothered with pillows by three men in uniform oh in, in suits. Oh, my God, dude. Oh, my God.
you will become a May Brussel junkie just knowing you. Just knowing you. She just, uh, the stuff she came up with, all the things that you just talked about, Libby and all the rest, she is an absolute total expert. Her research is impeccable. Absolutely impeccable. So what I do is that once a month I go and I Google one of May Brussels' uh, hours, and then I also Google one of uh, 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 Bill Hicks' routines. I'm a Bill Hicks junkie. I love comics. I love all comics. In the book, you'll read, there's a great five pages about Lenny Bruce spending his last uh, hours with me before the cops murdered him. And then I beat out George Carlin twice, once for a lead in a sitcom and once for an appearance on uh, the Smothers Brothers replacement comedy show. They are great stories, but they're about comics. And I loved both of them, both of them. But both together don't equal the genius of Bill Hicks. You know what, John, we've talked about this before. I think in uh, late April or whenever you get back from your Toronto trip, we should do a uh, Las Vegas. Um, we'll do a big night. Maybe, like, you'll do some stand-up. We'll do some stand-up. And then uh, we'll have a, uh, an evening with John Barber where I interview about this stuff. I want to find out about, I mean, I want to bring you back already, talk a little May Brussels. I mean, get into the Manson murders. Get into the murder of Lenny Bruce. I like, like these are things. Like I love talking about geopolitics on this show, but it gets can really bog down your soul because you know, as conspiracy oh, theorists, we uh, crunch the data and but we don't see the results. We know what's what they've done. We've uh, we've taken the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle and we found that they all fit very nice. There's no resistance and yet nothing happens. We want it. We hope that Obama was changed. He wasn't and we hope that Trump is changed. I'm still holding out hope. I mean, Johnny, I mean we haven't gone to war with Iran yet, have we? I mean like am I Not wrong? Yet. No. Not yet. I mean, so we'll see. I, I mean like but uh, I need to hear about all this stuff, John. All this stuff. Right now, I must tell you, Sam, I'm looking at your hat. Now the L.A. stands for love always. Yeah, dog. I love it. I very much. I love it, man. It makes me very sad. I want to get into Jesse Jack. You know, one of these uh, ladies who used to be on... Um, Used to be on um, ESPN, put out a tweet, white supremacist killed uh, killed Martin Luther King. And, I, you know, when you say white, white supremacist, we're thinking about white trash and just people. You know, I don't I don't sit there and try to empathize with white supremacists. OK, but I tend to sit there and I go, you know, what, man, I think if you set down a gangbanger and you set down a white supremacist and you had them just for a minute be very vulnerable and be like, why do you believe that? I think if they really got honest with you, they tell you because they have no hope. So they join these groups and they did they pom pom their group. Oh, I'm a blood. I'm a crip. I'm a white supremacist, you know. And, uh, you know, my group's the best because they have no real hope, man, out there. And I'm not when, justifying. When it, when it comes to hope, I feel a lot like Groucho Marx, who said he wouldn't join any golf course that would have him as a member. Yeah, so right. I, don't I don't. But you know what? For some reason, I feel very, maybe it's because I came from those roots. I felt so safe in Watts in at the height of the riots. And, you know. In 1978, I happened to fill in 
for a morning show in Chicago. And quite accidentally, one of the guests had been Nixon's speechwriter. And of course, I read all the books. And in his, in, in his book, he mentioned that Watergate may have had more to do with the assassination of John Kennedy than it had to do with beating the Democrats and McGovern, which is obvious because they showed, polls showed Nixon at 70 and McGovern at 25 or something like that. So we spent an hour just talking about the assassination. And he said on the air, oh, John, I would have had a bestseller if I'd spent my whole book talking about the assassination with a group of lawyers in the Chicago Tribune took out an ad asking for management to keep me as the host of the show. I was just there temporarily to fill in while they we're looking for a permanent replacement. And so I did reviews on the uh, news as well. Anyway, the manager asked me if I would stay. And so I said, oh, I'd love to. I love Chicago. Are you kidding? I'd love to. And then New York said, no, Barbara is too controversial yeah. because of, of that interview. So, But if you go to YouTube and you Google John Barber Reviews Chicago, because what they asked me to do, they asked me to review the five weeks that I was there. And I did, and I'm just in the studio with Noah, and I'm telling you, it's as funny and as topical today. And guess what? I was replaced by Charlie Rose, who bombed. In 13 weeks, uh, and he had to go and work for nothing in the South. And then they brought in a black girl from Cincinnati named Oprah. <laughs> and 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 my and my my wife and and friends say to me because I was making thirty thousand dollars an hour. Of course, when I was doing real people, I love doing. I love talking to people, and the reason for that, Sam, is I feel everybody else has a more interesting life than I do. I'm so with you. I I love talking. To people and I said to a lot of people said God I wish you'd kept the show real people I wish you'd kept the thing in Chicago and I said no because I would have never done these two wonderful films about Kennedy and Garrison and I would have never learned all this stuff about Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy I mean you know when when we were doing the show at uh at, 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 by the way, when I made the the movie, I offered twenty five thousand dollars to Dan Rather to ask one question, and uh, his agent turned me down. And the question was, "Who was with you in the room when you saw the Zapruder film?" That was all. I gave you twenty five thousand dollars and just come on camera. So, but in any event, what happened is that Dick Russell, who writes the material about the environment for Bobby Kennedy Jr asked Bobby Kennedy if he would like to come on and be interviewed by George Knapp and then screen John's first documentary, The Garrison Tapes. And he agreed to it. And we we're going to give him the $25,000 instead of Dan Rather. We had 1,200 people waiting in the day before he canceled. Oh, my God. John, i got to ask you something real quick to go back sure. to the uh, Martin Luther King um assassination you know there we've heard it came it's very interesting dude there like there's people who have conversation like and i don't want to get into this topic but i'm like let's say flat earth and like let's say oh i, God, I don't want to talk flat earth john i'm just <laughs> using this as an example okay and yeah. if you're in the flat earth i'm cool with that too i know john you're not but there are people that are and i have no problems with yeah it. so 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 if they came out tomorrow that they said the earth was flat 
I, how would people's life change? And I'm telling you, it wouldn't. Maybe for a second. Most people <laughs> it, like us. Change. Uh, one of my, I have, I first, I have two or three really close friends. One's in Mensa. You have to be a genius to be in Mensa. He owns radio stations in Canada, and he's a flat earther. And so I just asked him two simple questions. And the two simple questions are, who lives on the bottom? And secondly, if there's an eclipse, why isn't it a straight line across the moon instead of circular? I mean, they can, I'm telling you, I don't care what anybody believes as long as it makes them a better person. For sure, John. So my question to you is like, when, when the documents came out recently that uh, um, Jesse Jackson was an uh, uh, FBI asset and Al Sharpton was an a- a- a FBI asset. There was no react. I couldn't believe that that there was no reaction, which gets me to the point that we only have a reaction when the media tells us to have a reaction. We don't react to anything. You know, like the media tells us that the Me Too movement is, uh, you know, oh my God, respect all women. And then pedophilia comes out in Hollywood and these same <laughs> actresses who have been telling us about how hard it is to be them are silent. So there's no, because the media isn't telling them to be upset about pedophilia. So nobody went crazy about when we found out that, that, that basically Jesse Jackson is a motherfucking turncoat scumbag backstabber of his own people. Okay. So we didn't hear that. So my question <laughs> to you is, uh, what about Martin Luther King? I have to ask you that because, you know, with all the memes and all the pictures put out about him last year, I mean, yesterday on his, uh, on his national holiday, several commenters was like he was controlled opposition. He was CIA. He was used to counter the militant movement of um, Malcolm X. What is your thoughts on yeah. that? And to take it further, also the theory about him Be, uh, being a rapist on tape. Yeah, la- like I, I'm not getting into his whole. Uh, he uh, loved women and had affairs. I don't judge people's uh, what they do in the bedroom. I don't know his relationship with his wife, and I'm not getting into the construct of marriage and all this stuff. That's that's a whole different thing. Uh, people do what people do. I'm not going to judge them. I don't know what's going on in the household. So, but. You know, the CIA. Uh, hey, look, Jesus, Jesus might have been married to a hooker, okay? Yeah. And a lot of very successful men are adulterers. I mean, John Kennedy uh, was an adulterer. My idol uh, um, was an adulterer. Uh, Jim Garrison, and so was Martin Luther King. That has nothing to do about how they do their work. Now, I want to say one very last thing. I started to tell you about the House Select Committee on Assassinations. Do you know how it was set up? How? I do not. Okay. 1963 is when Dan Rather goes on television and tells America that the third shot hits Kennedy in the head and he's thrown violently forward. And we all believe that until 1975. So we believe it for 12 years. Then Geraldo Rivera has a late night show on ABC. And guess who shows up carrying the Zapruder film? My pal Dick Gregory and then Bob Groden, who worked for the House Select Committee on Assassinations. They run the Zapruder film. They Americans see it on the media. So if it's on the media, it must get approval. And millions, literally millions of people stormed Congress 
You must have a new investigation. And so there was no choice. So in just the very next year, Congress mandated that $6 million would be spent on a new investigation into the murder of Martin Luther King and John Kennedy. And guess who they set up as the lead investigator? Have you ever heard the name Richard Sprague? No, I have not. Richard Sprague is the second bravest law enforcement or legally involved human being in the United States who comes close to the courage of Jim Garrison. Richard Sprague is appointed as the lead investigator. Richard Sprague goes on camera and he has a staff of six. And he tells the public and the press, we are going to solve these two murders because nobody in this staff is going to be either FBI or CIA. These are the two first factions that we investigate. Well, immediately, one of the lead CIA assets in Congress, a guy named Gonzalez in Texas, and the 400 media assets in, uh, uh, working for uh, start to work for his removal. And Richard Sprague is removed and replaced by a hack named G. Robert Blakey. G. Robert Blakey turns the entire proceedings over to the CIA. Now, the reason I say this is more heinous than the Warren report in the beginning is because it's happening in front of us and nobody is squawking. And when he publishes his terrible book, blaming the mafia for the murder and dedicating the book to the CIA. And you and I know (laughs) if the mafia had been responsible for the assassination, there wouldn't be a pizza parlor in America. (laughs) Now, I'm putting together I am non-religious, but I am a believer in something weird going on in the universe that I cannot explain because so many things have been blessings to my life. When I was doing the documentary, which features now Richard Sprague and the story of its birth and its death, is my computer went down and I've been searching every place for Richard Sprague because I know I saw it years ago uh, when it first happened and I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. So I gave up on it and I tried to find books with a quote in it and I was going to photograph the quotes. My computer broke. So my computer guru comes over and he spends a couple hours and he fixes it and uh, up pops a picture. And Sam, you'll never believe what popped up. Richard Sprague talking about how he was sabotaged by the CIA. And it's in the film. I mean, it was like a blessing from the gods. And it's in the film. And you will never... Nobody knows about Richard. Listen, there. you want to know something? I bet there isn't, let's say aren't, I'll lose, use the plural. I'll bet there are two people in your audience, which is a really highly informed audience. Thank you. Who knows where Thomas, Bain, Thomas Paine's body is buried. I know where it is, but you guys, where do you guys? Okay. I don't. I, I really don't know where. Where is it? Where? Anybody, I uh, nope. XG's new to this country. He doesn't know. Uh, Johnny, uh, can you get off of Word with the Friends for a second and tell us where, where, uh, where you think Thomas Paine is uh, buried? 
I'm Googling it right now. Okay, you're cheating. <laughs> cheating. Well, where, 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 do you th- where is it, John? Tell us. Okay, you know who Thomas Paine is? Thomas Paine is the intellectual founder of the American Revolution, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights written by Thomas Jefferson. But if it hadn't been for Thomas Paine, none of that would happen. Thomas Paine was a very poor son of a very poor English bootmaker who came to this country and wrote a book called Common Sense about how we needed a revolution away and a new country away from the British. It sold 50,000 copies and he turned every nickel over to George Washington so George Washington could feed and clothe his troops that were fighting the British. Now what happens is George wins and he becomes the first president in the United States. And what does he do? He grants honorary citizenship to Thomas Paine. Well, Thomas Paine is an active intellectual, and he hears there's some kind of revolution going on in in, uh, France. So he scurries over to France and watches the revolution at work and comes back, and he writes this brilliant book attacking organized religion. So anyway, he goes to Washington to cast his first vote, and they withdraw his citizenship. Don't let him vote. Well, of course, he has a tough time getting by, and he dies. Oh, so they take him to a cemetery in New Hampshire to bury him, and they turn him down because they say he's an atheist. Nobody will accept the body for burial. So his family asks that the body be sent back to England. So his body's put on board a ship bound for Liverpool in England, and six Christian sailors take the body and throw it into the Atlantic Ocean. Oh, my God. And America has treated intellectuals like that ever since. If you go to my site and you'll see Frank Zappa give one of his brilliant interviews, he is the Nicholas Tesla of music. He says, the problem with this country is they hate bright people. And it's so true. Now his it father was in his father was in the intelligence service. Of course, so there's smart. always that. There's always a connect. I mean, it's like there's always a connection, man. Always, always. Yeah. It's just yeah. unbelievable. That's he why said, we love you, John. He said that politics in America is the entertainment division of the military-industrial complex. Yeah. You can't get better than that. Anyway, Sam, I can't tell you how much I really I could spend forever. Tom, we're going to do it, man. We're going to set up this date to have you you and me, and we'll do a show out there. We'll have XG. We'll bring John. And uh, John has something to say. Johnny, do you have something to say? Hey, hey John. This is Johnny. I've heard you mention it a few times, uh, the John Lennon assassination. Do you have a lot to say about that? I'd love to hear about that maybe sometime in the future. Yes, but not now. Not now, but in the future sometime. Could you do an episode Sorry, John. Johnny's very greedy. He doesn't have a lot of friends. (laughs) I've overdosed on American assassinations for the time. No, I I, I literally said before, not today, but next time maybe. And what I what I would love to do the latter part of March I'll be in Toronto on a book tour doing a couple of big book signings in Toronto and a bunch of media there and on the way back I'm going to stop there's a fella has a really nice show called Quite Frankly I was on the other day and he wants me to come in and do it in studio so I can talk to the I love live and I love taking phone calls so I told him I'd, I'd stop by 
where do you do your show when you're not in L.A. or out uh, doing we, your comedy stuff? We go stuff? wherever they'll let us go. John, we'll, we'll find a event. We just did some downtown uh, in Fremont Street. That was fun, but I'd like to find oh, somewhere wow. else where we oh, can sit kidding. down. You could do a little stand-up, John, get the old jokes out, sling a little comedy dick for the crowd, and uh, then we'll do a Q&A. We'll do a, I'll do some questions, and we'll have people ask you. Okay, one last thing, and this is about the adultery of Martin Luther King and Jim Garrison and John Kennedy. You know what? They discovered the fountain of youth. And you know what the fountain of youth is? What? The frequent pleasant expulsion of sperm <laughs> johnny that's and why you're Sam, aging horribly Sam, preferably with someone <laughs> oh, yeah the other way just kills Dude, your chi imagine if they had blue chew imagine oh, oh. back in the day if they had some blue chew god he is a legend he is john barber john one more time tell them your book tell them your website let oh. the children teach the children well okay Here's my book. Your mother's not a virgin. It's an uncomfortable truth. And that's why I love the title of the book. And the subtitle is The Bumpy Life and Times of the Canadian Dropout Who Changed the Face of American Television. It is by far the funniest and most informative book about anybody ever in show business. Now, for my site, if you go to www.johnbarbersworld.com, you can see when I'm on with Sinatra and the Tonight Show or roasting Red Fox. The first time I gave Red Fox his appearance on TV, a bunch of stories. And you can see the very first Garrison tapes for nothing. And if you go to Amazon for $2, you'll find the absolute definitive film on the murder of John Kennedy, the American media, and the second assassination of President John F. Kennedy, and Sam, thank you so much for letting me get this all out of my system. Another classic by John Barber here on Tinfoil Hat. John, we'll have to we'll have to circle around, do a little John Lennon for Johnny because he's I love him so much. You know, he's my he's my little buddy over there. And <laughs> hey, I love him. Hey Sam, you know a better than me for your Johnny. Do you know who John Potash is? No, let me see. Oh, my God. I'm going to educate the educator. Yeah. John, John Potash has a brilliant book out. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've well, actually, we've had him we've on had the show. On. Excuse me. Uh, oh, Drugs okay. in the War Against and, Us. Yes, we've had John on. I love John. John's uh, he, uh, then, he really opened our minds on the whole heroin. See, and, if, see if you can rebook him because he can tell you a lot about John Lennon and a lot of those guys. Who were done in? Done. I have, uh, I have two or three people who are experts on Lennon. I'd be glad to send you their info. John, you're my new good friend. I have two friends, Johnny and John now, and uh, <laughs> I'm blessed. Uh, you were great, John. We're gonna sit down, work the details. We'll get some going in Las Vegas, and we'll have a night with my man John Barber. We'll do comedy and a, and a uh, night of just me interviewing you. We're gonna do it. We'll let the, everybody know about the dates. I think people's minds are gonna be broken. Uh, blown. They're going to be blown because we got real honest with everybody. And you know what? Sometimes the truth hurts. And you know what you want to believe and what actually happened might not be fine. 
Don't get angry if you heard words you didn't like or, or truth you didn't like. This is the truth chamber. We pull no punches. We go hard in the paint. John, you're the best. We'll talk to you soon. Enjoy your uh, Las Vegas strip buffets or whatever <laughs> you like to do uh, in Las Vegas. Thank you, everybody listening. We love you guys very much, and we'll see you guys see you again. Guys. Thank you. We'll see you in Texas, and we'll see you in Oklahoma. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Aaron, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Tim foil hack. Tim foil hack.